We are continuing our study on Wednesday nights entitled, What We Learn in the Wilderness. And by the wilderness, we're just talking about those difficult times in life. The children of Israel spent 40 years going through the wilderness. And sometimes we get in a situation that might seem like 40 years, but uh, it's just a, a difficult place, a hard time, and it just seems like it, like it drags on and on and on. Now, what we're thinking about on these Wednesday nights is when we get in a situation like that, what are some things that we can learn? Is there anything that God is teaching us? Are there any ways that we can grow? Now, on the first Wednesday night, we talked about the first lesson that we need to learn in the wilderness is that God has a blessing in store for us. Right there in that place of difficulty, it may be hidden, may be hard to find, but there is a blessing. Last week, we thought about the fact that in the wilderness, what we focus on is very important. If we focus on our surroundings, our circumstances, our feelings, what we don't have, we're going to become very weary and lose heart. But if we focus on the Lord, we'll stay positive, we'll be fine, and it may be hard, but we'll be fine eventually, and we'll just move right on to what God has for us next. Now, tonight, we're picking up with the third lesson that we can learn in the wilderness. And for those of you who are here tonight thinking, well, I need to learn something because I'm in a wilderness right now. Well, here's the lesson. Complaining doesn't do any good. If you agree with that, say amen. And probably we all complain from time to time, but it doesn't do any good. Somebody gave me a little cartoon. I know you can't see it from where you're sitting, but there's a pastor, a preacher anyway, and then there are three church members coming up to him uh, after the sermon with their Bibles open. And the first one is saying, why study the book of Numbers? And then the second person says, 36 chapters of self-centered people who whined every time they didn't get their way. And then the third person comes up and says, that's right, preacher, give us something relevant. <laughs> well, when we talk about complaining, we may be talking about the most relevant topic that we could think about. Because in the world in which we live today, and even in Christian circles, it's easy for us to complain about our circumstances, to complain about our lives as, compared, as opposed to trusting God in those situations. So in Numbers chapter 11, if you haven't opened your Bible yet, I wish you would open it to Numbers chapter 11. I want us to begin in verse 1 and just read a few verses to kind of give us a flavor of what's going on here out in the middle of the wilderness. Uh, and how the people complained and what happened to them. It says, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them in the outskirts of the camp. And so the first thing we see is God was not happy with their complaining. God heard what they were saying. And God was not pleased with it at all. Then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. It was extinguished, this fire that God had sent down in judgment. So he called the name of the place Taborah because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? And so there they are in the wilderness. They're eating the manna that God has provided for them, but they don't want, they're not satisfied with manna anymore. They're thinking, we want meat. 
And this manna is just not cutting it for us, and we need something else. And so they're complaining about their lot in life. And so the first thing I would say tonight is simply this. Complaining brings about negative consequences. Now, we all do it. We're all guilty of complaining. But we need to remember that when we complain, nothing good is going to come from that. It always brings about negative consequences. Here we've already seen that complaining displeases the Lord. You know, I think when we think about displeasing the Lord or sinning, we think about, you know, other types of things. We think about immorality. We think about cheating. We think about violence. We think about dishonesty. We think about uh, maybe trying to hurt somebody in some other way. I mean, when, we, when we make our list of sins, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. We read those in the Ten Commandments and we say, well, that's where they belong, right there in the Ten Commandments. But when we read the Tenth Commandment, don't covet, well, then, wait a second, I know it's wrong to covet, but coveting is not as bad as murdering. And there's a sense in which the consequences are not as bad, but it's still sin. And I think we kind of view complaining like that. We kind of view complaining like a minor league sin. Like, I know I shouldn't do it. We kind of view complaining like we view gossip. I know I probably shouldn't. I should have kept my mouth shut, but I didn't kill anybody. I'm not sleeping with somebody I'm not married to. I'm not cheating anybody out of money. I'm not hurting anybody. And so, yeah, a little gossip here, a little complaining here. I know I shouldn't do it. But it's really not that big. It's kind of a minor league sin. Well, I think that's how we would probably look at complaining. It's a minor league sin. But what I'm saying tonight is that's not how God looks at it. Because if it were just a, quote, minor league sin, God never would have sent fire down from heaven and killed some of the people who were guilty of doing that. Now, why is complaining such a problem to God? Why is God so displeased when we complain? Here's the reason. When we complain, what we're really saying to God is, you're not a good father, you're not taking care of us, and I'm not happy with what you're doing in my life. And God looks down and says, you know, to himself, to the children of Israel, now let me get this straight. I brought you out of Egyptian bondage. I have met every need you've had in the wilderness, and I've promised to take you into the promised land, and yet, here you are, and you're not happy with what I'm doing, and it displeased the Lord. I think there is a, there's a side to God that, that probably most of us are not as familiar with. We're familiar with God being firm on what we would call major league infractions or, or, or sins. But when it's a minor league, something like this, as we would think, we would think, well, I just don't think God is going to be all that upset about it. Friend, when you read the Bible, you discover that there are certain sins that seem to... Now, God is offended by all sin. There's no sin that God... Uh, approves of, but there seem to be certain sins that just rub God the wrong way, and that God takes a firm action against those sins. Now, God is the God of grace. When we repent of those sins, God forgives those sins, but complaining is one of the sins that God doesn't like, and He here destroyed some of his own people because they were complaining, which leads me to the next thing I would say about complaining. Not only does it displease the Lord, which is bad enough, but complaining destroys us. Think about this. There in the wilderness, some of the people were killed, in this case, not for immorality, 
not for worshiping a, another god. They were, uh, they were destroyed because they were complaining against God. And so there's a sense. Now, liter- it was a literal destruction here. Many died. But even in our own lives, when we complain, and this coming Sunday I'm going to preach a sermon on words And one of the things I'm going to say in that sermon is that one of the reasons that words are so important, not only is God listening to our words, not only are other people listening to our words, but we ourselves are listening to our words. And when we complain, our ears are hearing what our mouth is saying, and our brain is processing what our mouth is saying, and it somehow has a way of getting from our head down to our heart, and it actually destroys us. There's something about complaining that has a destructive effect on our own faith, on our own attitude, and our own outlook of of life. It just pulls us down. That's why I don't like to be um, in a negative conversation or a a conversation uh, that's, that's controversial or or, or highly motivated or even overly politicized is because it somehow gets people, it gets all of our emotions going, and sometimes we can just go down a, a path of, of complaining. And then complaining discourages those closest to us. And so if you're a complainer, if you go home tonight and you have other people in your house and you complain when you get home tonight, one of the things that's going to happen is they're going to become discouraged by your complaining. Look in verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all these people who've lost their loved ones, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. And so the weeping here, I'm sure there were people weeping because their family members had been killed, but the real weeping here is because the people are complaining they don't have any meat to eat. And Moses is listening to this, and he says to God in verse 14, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Now, this is Moses. Moses has become so wearied and so discouraged by their complaining that Moses is asking God to take his life. He said, if I've found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. In other words, God, if you really love me, kill me right here in the desert. I can't take this complaining anymore. And so it says to me that complaining has a way of discouraging those who are the closest to us. So again, just to make the point, there's nothing good about complaining. When you say a complaining word against God, against another person, against anybody, uh, it's, it, it's, it's going to be nothing but negative. Now, where does complaining come from? What, is the, what causes us to complain? You say, well, we complain because something happens we don't like. Well, that's certainly true, uh, but complaining, if you really think about it, and I'll show you a verse or two to prove this, complaining oftentimes, maybe not always, but many times complaining is the result of comparing it is the result of, make, of us making a comparison, and we see the comparison. Maybe, maybe we're comparing ourselves to somebody else, and 
we see something there that we don't like, and we complain about it. Or maybe we're complaining our situation in life now to what our situation in life was at a, maybe what we would call a better time, and we compare the two, and we complain. Now, look at verse number 5. We're still in Numbers chapter 11, but in verse number 5, the people are complaining, and here's what they said. We remember the fish which we freely ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And so there they are in the wilderness, and what are they doing? They're remembering what they were thinking of as a better time. They had better food. Verse 6, but now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing before us, before, before us at all except, except this manna before our eyes. Now, notice the first two words. Now, I'm in the New King James. Your translation may be different. But in verse 5, the first two words we remember. In verse 6, but now. So what were they doing? They were comparing what they had in the past to what they had now. And they didn't like what they had now as much as what they had then. We remember, but now. The past was better than what we have now. Now, God's listening to this, and God is thinking, okay, you remember, first of all, when they're mentioning what they had in Egypt, with the exception of the fish, I would pass on all these foods. The cucumbers, now it depends what kind of melon, I might would eat that. The leeks, I'm not even sure what that is. The onions, I probably wouldn't eat that. And the garlic. So, I mean, they're talking about all this being so wonderful. That doesn't sound too wonderful to me. But even if the food itself was wonderful, God's listening to what they're saying, and God's thinking, okay, now, you're saying you were better off in Egypt when you were being mistreated by Pharaoh, you were being abused, you were, being, you were literally slaves there, I delivered you from that, I'm taking you into the promised land. There's an, what should be an 11-day journey through the wilderness. It'll be a time of testing. It'll grow your faith, and it'll give you a deeper appreciation for the promised land. And so God is saying, you want to go back to what you had after the great deliverance I gave you at the Passover? And that's exactly what they wanted. And so what I'm saying is many times complaining is the result of comparing. We compare ourselves to others. We compare where we are now to where we've been in the past, and we complain. And then the third thing is complaining reveals a spiritual problem. And that's what God knew when he listened to all their complaining. Complaining reveals a spiritual problem and needs a spiritual solution. And so if you're a complainer, you don't want to just hear this tonight and walk out and say, well, I've got to really do better about that and, and stop complaining. Well, I think sometimes... If that's our approach to it, we, we try to do that somehow in the flesh and make ourselves not say what we really feel in our hearts. And so if that's the approach you take, he's right, I complain too much, I've got to stop it. Well, I mean, that's better than nothing. But if that's all we do, we're going to leave here tonight and we're going to say, I'm not going to say all the things that I'm unhappy with. Whereas God would look at that and say, well... That's better than saying it, but I want to bring you to a place where not only do you not say all the things you're unhappy with, but where you're not unhappy, where you can have a more uh, 
Bible-centered, Christ-centered outlook on life. And so I've jotted down four things in your outline tonight, and I just want to mention these and show you the verse. How do we, what is the spiritual solution, not only to using complaining words, but to have a complaining heart, whether we say it or not? You know, many of us are just smart enough not to say everything we think, and that's a good quality to have. But there's something even better than not saying everything we think, and that is thinking differently. (laughs) Because if we think differently, then we're not always trying to say, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. We're just thinking differently because God has not just dealt with the symptom, which is complaining words. He's dealt with the problem, the root problem, which is a complaining, dissatisfied I looked up the word interestingly today in the definition or in the dictionary, uh, complaining. What does it mean? And in the definition, it used the word dissatisfaction. See, that's what, it, that, that's what drives complaining. You're not satisfied. So if all we do is hear a Bible study on complaining, say, he's right, I've got to stop complaining. Well, we may, you know, clip our conversations a little bit better, but in our hearts, we're still going to be dissatisfied. Nothing's really changed there. It's just that we figured out not to say how we feel. Well, God says, let's go deeper than that, and let's deal with this root problem of being dissatisfied with something in your life, and then you won't have to try not to complain because you'll have a a totally different outlook. So the, the four things that I see as I have studied Numbers chapter 11 today that I think are very applicable to us is simply this. Number one, be thankful for what, you've ha- what you have. In other words, instead of complaining about what you don't have, out there in the wilderness, they didn't have the fish. They didn't have the melons. They didn't have the onions. They didn't have all that stuff they liked. Well, instead of complaining about what you don't have, be thankful for what you do have. At the end of verse 6, look what they said again. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now remember, the manna was the food that God sent them. That's what God determined that they needed. God looked at their situation and said, what you need is manna. It'll be good for you to refresh you. It'll strengthen you. It's bread from heaven. It's what the angels eat. And that's what I, I, that's what I want you to have. And so God gave them what God wanted them to have, and they were dissatisfied with that blessing. And they didn't have a thankful heart. So I would encourage you, to be thankful for what you have. You know, I've thought about it. I'm still thinking about changing my morning prayer routine. You know, sometimes you can pray things for so long that, and, that you almost just pray it without even thinking about what you're saying. And so I think maybe sometimes we need to either work at being more mindful in our praying or just turn the apple cart upside down and change you know, how we do our praying so it won't become, you know, rote and routine and, and just going through the motions. But one of the things I do, and the reason I haven't taken it out of my morning routine yet, I begin my, my prayer time every morning by thanking God for certain blessings in my life. And there's something about beginning my day, and, and I don't, I don't want to stop doing that. It's just that I have a list, a mental list. I've never written it out, but a mental list and sometimes I'll just find myself, God, thank you for this, this, this. And maybe I'm not even, I think I'm, I think I'm mindful of it, but, but maybe I need to do it in a different order or do something else. But friend, however we say it, I think you would agree with me tonight. 
we have many things for which we can be thankful. Amen? And uh, we need to just, to just think about that. Many of the things that we take for granted, this is one of the big things with me, many of the things that we take for granted, if we didn't have, all we would pray for would be for God to give us that back. For example, Probably most people here today, I don't know this, but probably most people here today have not thanked God for your eyesight. I'm just, I'm just thinking I'm pretty on steady ground by saying most people here have not said today, God, thank you that I have eyes that I can see. And yet, if you lost your vision, the only thing you would want in life would be your vision. The problem at work the problem at home, the financial challenge, the political thing that you're all uptight about, if you lost your vision, you wouldn't care what they're doing in Washington. You wouldn't care what some politician said. You, you wouldn't care about that fellow at work that's rude to you or that you got overlooked for the promotion. You would just be thinking, God, if I could just have my vision, I would never ask you for anything else. I guarantee that. I talked to a friend today about my age. He's in his early 30s. <laughs> I'm just making sure you're awake. He's about my age. I talked to him on the phone today. He woke up about three or four months ago, and he had lost about 60% of his vision out of one of his eyes. Just like that. And he has no idea what caused it. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor examined it and told him what it was and gave him a name for it. And he said, it'll never come back. And he said, tell you something else. Not only will it never come back, but you could have the same thing happen to your other eye. This guy is the picture of health. He, 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 I mean, active, successful, sharp, devoted Christian. And, and I said to him, I said, I pray for your vision to come. I said, are you able to drive? He said, I'm still able to drive because I, have perf- I can still see perfectly out of my left eye, and I have some vision out of my right eye. But he said, John, I'm really worried about what happens if it happens to my other eye because then I wouldn't be able to drive. And so he has a, an eye problem. Think about this. He went to bed with perfect vision, and he woke up having lost 60% of his vision in one of his eyes. Now, I'm just saying, the point I'm saying, we're, we're trying to figure out how to quit complaining. When we complain, what are we complaining about? What we don't have or what we don't like in our life. Well, you just keep focusing on that long enough and and, and you'll bring the whole neighborhood down. But if you'll shift your focus and say, you know what, God, I did get overlooked for that promotion. God, that fellow's rude to me at work. God, what's happening in the country? Or, or, Or God, this politician, or I don't know who I can trust, or everybody's, you know, everybody's lying and and, uh, and, and, and who, you know, you just keep going down that road. Now, if you just keep plowing that field long enough, I'm telling you, you you're going to get bogged down out there. But if you'll just change your focus and say, God, everything in the world may be messed up. But at least I can see. At least I can hear. At least I can eat. At least I can walk. At least I came to church tonight. I was able to come to church tonight. And if you, even if you don't have all those blessings, God, at least I'm saved, and I know when I die I'm going to heaven and not hell. It's all about perspective. 
And it's all about thinking differently. So that's the first thing. Be th- make you a list, a mental list, or write it out of some of the things you're thankful for. Number two, join hands with spirit-filled believers. One of the things that will help you to have a better perspective and not be so negative and not to complain is to join hands with spirit-filled believers. Now look in verse 16 because this is quite interesting to me. So the Lord said, now Moses is asking God to take his life. God, kill me if you love me. He just can't take this complaining anymore. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. Now listen to what God says. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same spirit upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. What was God saying to Moses? He was saying, Moses, the burden's too heavy. You're out there trying to solve every problem answer every dispute, meet every need, and it's too great for you, Moses, and these negative people are about to take the life out of you. Set aside 70 men, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to give them the same spirit that I have given to you. And run with those men. Hang with those men. Talk to those men. Associate with those men. Join hands with those men. And as you partner with them, you'll lift them up and they'll lift you up. You remember when in Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites. They're down in the valley fighting. And Moses is watching the battle. And the Israelites are losing. And so God says, lift up the rod of God, Moses. So Moses lifted up the rod of God. And when he got that rod of God lifted up, now the Israelites are defeating the Amalekites. But if you've ever tried to hold your arm up for a long period of time, you know, after a while, that arm gets heavy. And so Moses put his arm down. He said, this is just too painful for me. When he put that rod down, the Amalekites started beating and defeating the Israelites. Well, God, what should I do? Aaron and Hur, two of his associates, well, his brother and friend came along, and they helped support that hand, helped hold that hand up, and kept that rod of God in the air, and the Israelites defeated the Amalekites. And it says to me, One of the things, listen, one of the reasons we complain is we're dissatisfied. No doubt about that. But one of the reasons we're dissatisfied is we're weary. We are just weary in life. These last two years of what we have been through, not only nationally, even though America has been through some things unique to us, but what the world has been through globally, I think at least for most people, has somewhat wearied us. I think we're just just weary with life not being 100% normal. In fact, some people are so weary with it that they they have declared life is 100% normal. And they're just saying, I'm living my life 100%. Well, good for them. But whether they do that or not, friend, I'm here to tell you, life is not 100% normal. Call your doctor. Talk to a funeral home director. Life is not 100% normal, whether you think it is or not. And I think what's happened to to many people, it has just wearied us. And when we get weary, what do we need? We need somebody to hold us up. 
We need Aaron and we need her and we need 70 men and maybe 70 women, whoever God chooses, who have received in their lives the same Spirit of God that we have received in our lives and we can bless them and they can bless bless us. And so what do we need? We need to join hands with Spirit-filled believers. You see, when we're going through a hard time, and, and we're weary, and we're worn out. There are a lot of roads you can take. One, one approach you can take is pure de-denial. One of my best friends today, I mean a close friend of many years, said to me, and how we got on this subject, I don't know. She, she said to me, she said, you know, you can't trust anybody. You can't trust the government. You can't trust the news. You, you just can't trust anybody. And I'm listening to this, and I felt like Moses. God, I'm getting weary. Just go ahead and, you know, take me to I didn't think of that literally, but I just, I thought. And, and I loved, I'm friends with, with this lady, and she's telling me this. And I said, well, you know, I agree with you. You don't know who you can trust, but you can trust the Lord. But, you know, if you take that deal, you can't trust anybody to the extreme. And as much as I love my friend, she may be here tonight. I don't, she's not a member, but she drops in sometimes. She might not drop in after this. But, uh, but she said to me, she said, you know, John, you can't trust anything the government says. Well, I think God gives us a brain. We, have to, we shouldn't be indoctrinated. But, you know, when the government says something or the news says something, you know, listen to it. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. Use your brain. Not everything that they say is a lie. Now, not everything's true, but not, she said to me today, and I'll tell you, if you just get into the total, we don't trust anybody, she said, 9-11 was caused by our own government. I said, really? She said, no, and, and she had her sources that she believed that. Well, I, and, and, and I love her, and, and, you know, if she, when I see her again, if she, you know, she'd probably say, well, John, I still believe that. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe our government caused 9-11. I believe suicide kamikaze pilots caused 9-11. I believe the devil caused 9-11 is who caused it. But uh, I'm just saying, if you develop an attitude of total, I trust nobody, whatever I hear on TV is false, whatever everybody says is false, and I'm just going to not believe anybody, I'm telling you, you're going to end up with some views out there in life that are just a little bit crazy. I mean... Just a little bit wackadoo, if I could say it that way. Just a little bit crazy. And what it's going to do, it's going to make you complain about everything. So join hands with spirit-filled believers. Lift them up and let them lift you up. Number three, don't lose your faith. One of the reasons we complain is we've lost our faith in God. And we just, we just, we just, we've really given up on God. Look in verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Moses out there asking God to take his life, and God says to him, Moses, has my arm been shortened? Has anything changed with me? Am I unable now to take care of these people? No, don't lose your faith in God. Keep trusting God and to know that God is on his throne and that God is as strong now as he's ever been, and God is as active now as he's ever been, and God's going to take care of you. And then number, the next one, the letter D here, learn to rejoice when God blesses or uses somebody else. You know, one of the reasons we complain is because we get jealous when we see God using somebody better than he's using us. Or when we see God blessing somebody 
Maybe God gave them a blessing and you thought it ought to come your way. Maybe that promotion should have been yours. And, and we, get, we wouldn't say it that way, but we're just, we're just flat out jealous. And jealousy is the green-eyed monster. Now look in verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. Now, these are these two two other men. Now, they were not among those listed, but who had not gone out, uh, or they were, rather, among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Joshua said, Moses, don't let these two men go out and prophesy. They didn't do the same thing that these others did. This is not right that they should prophesy. Look how Moses. Now, here's the maturity of Moses. Old Moses is showing his maturity over young Joshua at this point. Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake or are you jealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And so Moses said, I'm not worried about whether these men are inside the camp or outside the camp. The spirit of God came upon them and they prophesied. And I say, thank God for that. And I wish everybody in our camp would get this same blessing and that everybody could prophesy. And what, is, what do we learn here from Moses? We learn one of the ways not to complain. Remember, one of the reasons we do complain is because somebody else is being blessed beyond what we're being blessed. Or maybe somebody's being used of God in a greater way than we're being used of God. Now, look at this last thing I've said here. I want to say it again. Learn to rejoice when God blesses or when God uses somebody else. One of the last things I heard Adrian Rogers say before he went to be with the Lord in heaven, and he was so honest. He said, you know, I don't care how long you loved God, you've loved God or how long you've been saved. He said, we're still human. And in our humanness, we still struggle with the flesh. And he said, one of the things I do that helps me not be jealous of somebody else is when I go in somebody's house, if their house is nicer than our house, he said, I don't say anything out loud. I don't even close my eyes. But I just say to God, God, I want to thank you for blessing this family with this absolutely beautiful house. And, and it would apply to a car or a family or a job. or apply to, If you're a pastor, it would apply to another pastor or another church. Jealousy is a green-eyed monster. But if we can rejoice when other people are blessed and rejoice when other people are even being used, maybe in better ways, at least we think, better ways than what we're being used, then we're going to guard against having a negative, dissatisfied attitude that expresses itself by complaining. And so... In closing tonight, I encourage you, 
as I encourage my own self. Let's be thankful for everything that God has given us. And let's be satisfied with God himself. And thankful for our blessings, thankful for how he uses others. You know, keeping our faith, not being always so skeptical and negative and everything's a conspiracy and you can trust nobody. We've got to temper some of that. With, with common sense. I mean, God gave us wisdom, and God gave us a brain. And to temper some of even those feelings we have, and, say, and, and more than even that, God gave us His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit leads us into truth. Listen, don't let somebody on television, some politician, or some friend tell you what truth is. You listen. And get all the information you can get. And then say, now God, what is the truth here? And let God tell you what the truth is. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, one of the things He will do is He will reveal truth to you. Don't be indoctrinated by people who are telling you what to believe. No. Use your brain. Listen to God. Let Him reveal truth to you. And as he reveals truth to you, one of the things he's going to reveal are, is all the blessings that he's given you in your life and all the reasons you have to be thankful. It's a challenge. I may complain about something before this day's over, and you may too. And you know what? If we do, God will forgive us. But let's leave here tonight trying our best to be satisfied and not dissatisfied. Amen? Father, I thank you tonight that that we learn in the wilderness, complaining doesn't do any good. And not only does it not do any good, it only does bad. And so, God, help us not to complain. And even more important than that, in our hearts, help us not to be dissatisfied. Christian friend, would you ask God to help you at that point? You say this, God, help me not to complain. But even more than that, Help me not to be dissatisfied with the manna that you have given me. I'm begging for fish and onions, and you have said the manna is what you need right now. Help us to be satisfied with that manna. Now, last Wednesday night, there were four people who were saved in this service, and it blessed my heart. And it may be tonight that there are some here who need to be saved. If you don't know for sure that Jesus is living in your heart tonight and you want to know that, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be.